We wish to express our gratitude to the enemies of crime and crusaders against crime throughout the world for their inspirational example. To them and to the lovers of adventure, lovers of pure escapism, lovers of unadulterated entertainment, lovers of the ridiculous and the bizarre. To fun lovers everywhere, this podcast is respectfully dedicated. If we have overlooked any sizable groups of lovers, we apologize. Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Klink. And I am Troy Hart. And this is our third part of a trilogy of episodes looking at the 1960s Adam West and Burt Ward Batman. Our first two episodes looked at the series. And our third episode, this episode, will look at the movie. And I have been... Just thrilled to be doing these episodes, David. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite things in life. Uh, this is a show that I've always had around me and always loved and, and bat culture has always been there. And a large part of it was the success of the show and the movie in the sixties. So this has just been a lot of fun. As they said in ghost, ditto. This is our. <laughs> Sixth episode of season four, hole number 48. It is scheduled for broadcast on Saturday, March 25th, 2023. We do not have a special guest for this episode. Before that, Troy will give us a spoiler alert. Oh, it's my pleasure, David. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! I hope that was satisfactory for you. Sounded great. And with all of your spoiler alerts, they're always alarming holy thanks troy we are recording the session via zoom on to batman part three troy will do a bit of a history background of the movie take it away troy that's right david and in our previous uh i guess actually two episodes ago we did do an overview of the series and a little bit of the film but now this is specifically on batman the feature film from 1966 In March of 1966, just two months after the premiere of the Batman television series on ABC, 20th Century Fox, along with producer and show creator William Dozier, decided to produce a feature-length big-screen version of their TV show. This boggles the mind. In 10 days, writer Lorenzo Semple Jr. created a script for the film. It was shot in the spring of 1966 in 30 days. Moving to the big screen, of course, everything was larger. The running time was four times that of a single TV episode. We had, for the first time, an all-star team of Batman's rogues, Penguin, Joker, Riddler, and Catwoman. Julie Newmark was not available for the movie and was replaced by former Miss America, Lee Merriweather. In the film, the baddies are collectively known as the United Underworld 
a precursor to the Super Friends Legion of Doom. Joining the Batmobile were three new Bat vehicles, the Batcopter, the Batboat, and the Batcycle. The villains even had a penguin-stylized submarine. Being a movie, now the profanity and gore could go through the roof. Oh, okay, well, not yet, not, not this film. This was, after all, the bright night. All kidding aside, the body count of this film was pretty high. We had five henchmen die, a porpoise, and a shark all met their demise in Batman, and, and I guess you could say, Catwoman? Miss Kitka? Kind of, but we know that cats have multiple lives, so who knows. Uh, the plot of the story is based around the villains dehydrating the members of the United World Organization's Security Council and demanding a ransom from the world's nations. Meanwhile, we get a subplot where Bruce Wayne falls in love with the disguised Catwoman and is kidnapped by the fiends. The film premiered on July 30th, 1966, less than six months, that's a less than a six month turnaround from pre-production to release, which is just crazy because some films now spend six months in post-production. The film was made for $1.3 million and it tripled its budget at the box office, approximately $33 million in today's money. The movie was first broadcast on July 4th, 1971 on the ABC Sunday Night Movie. Now, did you, where did you see this first, David? Was it in the theater or did you see it uh, when it was on television? I think probably when it was on television, because I think I would have been pretty young. Uh, I would have been at the time four years old. Okay. Um, when the movie came out and I did see a number of films like bed knobs, bed knobs and broomsticks and various other ones in the sixties, but I don't think this movie was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know I definitely did not see it in the theater. Um, but, uh, and I, I didn't see that. Well, I don't know. I may have seen that original screening at night. But it feels more likely that, you know, I saw it multiple times on uh, on television. It seems like it was always on on the weekend. Like, it felt like it was one of those Sunday afternoon films that was perpetually on some channel. Um, and I do recall, as a kid, somebody telling me that there was a film because we were watching the the, the series. And, and I it almost felt like a rumor to me, you know, like there's actually a a, a feature film. Anyway, you know, as a film, it's always felt a little uneven for me and, and might be better served as a multi-part episode of the TV series. But it feels like a, a multi-course meal of cotton candy and pop, really. Too much sugar buzz to sit still for nearly two hours. But still, it's it's one of those things that uh, fits all the requirements of a, of a cult classic. Um, and sort of having said what I just did, yeah, there's a lot that I do enjoy about the film. Uh, the, the script and the delivery by Adam West and Burt Ward is pitch perfect. So are the four villains, uh, all the toys that are, that are in the film, uh, the penguin sub, which is just, I wish there was, had been a toy of that. I don't think there ever was, but I would, I would have snatched that up. The, the penguin sub, the bat boat, uh, the bat cycle, um, and the tension that I felt with the dehydrated diplomats as a kid, it was unbearable. 
Like I was really worried these people were not going to survive because we know that uh, there's a point in the film where the henchmen don't survive uh, the process. So it's like, we've already seen that, that this can happen, that you, that, that it's very volatile. Um, and there's that part where uh, Commodore Schmidlap ac- accidentally knocks over uh, the beakers that, that contain the diplomats. And then Batman is left to, uh, to re to separate all of the particles. Um, anyway, to me, that was just like, Oh my God, this is never going to work. How's Batman going to do this? Um, anyway, let's take it from there, I guess. Uh, what, what were your impressions of, of the film? You know, the first ones you remember. Um, <clears throat> I found like the fact that they had all of those uh, criminals all together when they had those four of the of basically the main baddies from the series all getting together that whole scene where they're they're talking about they find all these clues and all these things they say well that's clearly this criminal and that's that's a problem then they realize no there's a second one that's involved and that means that's that might affect the whole city and then they said well no actually now this other clue says there's actually three of them working together which means the entire country the whole u.s is in danger of being affected and then they realized no there's actually all four of them which meant the whole world if they work together and um try to do whatever they're doing it'll affect the entire earth and i found that cool the fact that they have to fight all of them uh, so that was my biggest sort of takeaway from the film was was Batman and Robin have Robin having to fight all of them. Oh, definitely. Did you find it odd that like, in the film clearly uh, Penguin is the top of the chain here, right? He's the one calling the shots, and he's the one who has, uh, I guess, had his henchmen paint this uh, submarine the uh, naval surplus submarine as uh as a penguin uh like i i think there could have been a full episode of the debate over who should have got to stylize the uh the submarine but it um it, it was just weird for me seeing penguin boss around say the joker uh like i didn't think the joker who in, in all of his forms even even in uh uh batman 66 is kind of an anarchist, right? He's kind of a guy who, uh, what would you say, uh, dances to the the beat of his own drum. Uh, I, I found it weird him being subservient to the penguin. Um, anyway, but that's the way it was. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was a seniority thing. Maybe uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. But part of that was like like if you get into a real deep dive on the movie and just you know take it apart bit by bit, the whole way of the four criminals and how they actually relate to each other in the scenes in the submarine and other instances of how they do that like one of the parts um probably my second favorite part of the film because my favorite part of course is the whole scene when batman is trying to get rid of the bomb and i think we'll talk about that in just a minute because that's for me the greatest moment but the attempt to kill batman 
with the exploding octopus and that whole part, the um, platform that that sends would send Batman through the window into the water, into the arms of an exploding octopus. But there's also two other things. It turns out that all of them were working together on this plot because usually in the, in the series, there's always this one thing like this slow mechanism or whatever it was each, there would only be one super villain you're dealing with. And they would have this one specific way of trying to kill Batman and Robin here. They work together to come up with, they each had their own thing. Well, why don't they all combine them? And that I found very cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was uh, something that I hadn't really noticed before uh, that, that I did pick up on, on my, my recent viewing of it is there's a scene where all four of them, are wearing masks, which, you know, the Joker doesn't really wear a mask. Uh, he's already sort of disguised or, or unless you go with a version where he applies grease paint as a disguise. Um, and then there's, um, a penguin, you know, doesn't generally wear a mask either, but there's a scene where all four of them, including the Riddler and Catwoman who do wear masks, uh, have them on but i thought that was kind of funny which i think is what was going on i think that was the intention of the filmmakers it wasn't uh an oversight you know like that uh um that joker and penguin don't wear masks it was just funny that they were wearing them in the scene uh, i i also thought uh it was great too and you get you again get to see penguin as being sort of the uh commander maybe it's because they're in the water i just realized maybe that's the the logical connection that i missed they're in the water and that's part of the penguin's domain so of course he should be the one calling the shots um but um there's a point where uh one of the pirate henchmen uh to the gang uh they're always saying throughout the movie yo ho and uh and so one of them says uh in front of in, in penguin's presence he says yo ho and penguin says yo ho what and then he says yo ho sir yes. <laughs> and, and, and i don't know why but it just for the first time struck me funny on the last viewing the yo ho sir <laughs> but again we get this you know it's determined that uh that, that pengi is the uh the ringmaster on on this one uh an interesting thing too with the film uh is that it's got a sort of ver a very different um, pacing for the opening. Generally on the shows, uh, the formula is that it opens with uh, the viewers witnessing a crime. And then, and then, you know, we cut to either commissioner Gordon's office as he calls in Batman and Robin, or we see Batman and Robin in the Batcave getting the call and then racing racing to the Batmobile and, and down to the 14 mile drive to, uh, to uh, police headquarters. But in this one, we, we don't get the representation of the crime on screen. Um, we, we just sort of begin with Batman and Robin heading off to investigate the yacht and which is okay. But I thought it was funny. It's like, they really shoot their wad early on showing us all of the new vehicles um and what, and what did you think of those vehicles either now or then or both david well i like the copter um the um boat was probably my favorite one including that ray gun or whatever that thing was that robin was shooting into the yes water 
uh, that that boat was probably my favorite of the the bunch. The motorcycle with the side compartment. I think um, they mentioned that there was a bit of danger with <laughs> yes. that. They actually had no idea where that side car once it once it got ejected would end up going. <laughs> and can you imagine if you're the one on that thing and you're thinking, okay, I'm just this is not going to end well for me. You might be um, in <laughs> a bit of danger health wise. Yeah. Yeah. And supposedly it did flip a couple of times. And I don't know if, because I, again, I did a lot of binging in the past week. Uh, so I don't know if I heard this from the feature film commentary with uh, Adam West and Burt Ward, but Burt said something to the effect of there was quite a few times where, um, <laughs> where they would just let Bert do the stunt, not because he was asking to do it, but they were just like, ah, oh, just let Bert do it. Like, just, <laughs> I can almost have this image of the actual stunt man dressed in the Robin costume having a smoke and a croissant or a smoke and a pancake, as they say <laughs> in Austin Powers, um, and just letting the actor do his own stunts. And, and I think on the first couple of shows, Bert actually did get hurt and like dislocated a rib or something because he got blown through a wall. Um, which I find a little bit hilarious. And, and I wondered because, you know, everything you can check out about Adam West, be it like a YouTube video or whatever, people loved him, uh, you know, and that didn't matter if it was during the run of the Batman series um, or, you know, during his tough times or his resurgence doing cons and doing um, uh, um, family guy, uh, but he was a really well-respected, well-loved man. Um, <laughs> but when it, like, you don't hear those kind of words generally about, uh, Burt Ward, especially at the time. I, th- I think as he's aged, he has, you know, mellowed, but I think it really went to his head at the time, the, the fame and whatnot. And we sort of, uh, talked a little bit about how he thought he could fight Bruce Lee and whatnot. But he, Lorenzo Semple Jr. in the commentary for the feature film, uh, like he says something like, oh, it was great working with Adam. I loved working with Adam. Not so much with Bert. <laughs> and that's all he says <laughs> at that point. Um, so, yeah. So often they would like just let Bert do the stunt in the, uh, the like that little go-kart that releases from the bat cycle <laughs> God knows where he would end up. Well, you do um, see some, you know, in, in watching the film, you do see some moments where there's either a fight or something, and you see the stand-ins. Now, it's not as obvious as right. the fights in Star Trek, um, the classic series, where it was like two people that didn't look at all like William Shatner or the Klingon that he's fighting, and you have this pull-away shot of them really getting fighting, but it's clearly not them. Um, so there are a few moments in there where, where clearly they have stunt people just to protect the actors. Yeah. I don't know if it's the first bat boat scene or, uh, the helicopter, but there's a scene where whoever's playing, whoever's doubling for Robin looks like he has a little bit of a balding pattern going on and he definitely looks a little beefier, uh, than, than Burt Ward. Um, yeah, and some of the helicopter shots for sure. Like, like when they, when they're very close and it's clearly them with maybe a movie screen in the background of the sky. So you get a sense that, that they're, 
in the copter when they're not. But then right. on the shots where clearly someone is piloting, and I don't think Adam West was probably a helicopter pilot or would actually <laughs> be doing that. Someone else would have been that that double there. Right. Um, what we're talking about, Robin, uh, I wanted to mention um, an element, uh, but first of all, let me backtrack a little bit for those who have not seen the film. There is sort of a subplot where, where Bruce Wayne falls for this Russian character, Miss Kitka, um, and then they are both kidnapped. Of course, this is a setup because Miss Kitka is Catwoman. Batman slash Bruce falls hard for Miss Kitka. Um, <laughs> and uh, so there's this, a scene where Robin and Alfred are in the Batmobile and they're supposed to be doing surveillance and keeping an eye on Bruce. Robin gets sort of prudish or whatever and he won't watch Batman making out on the Batmobile's video screen. Is that prudent, Master Robin? Our instructions were to keep watch. I don't know about prudent, Alfred, but it sure is heck the only decent thing to do. Perhaps. As a result of him turning it off, he misses when 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 Batman is abducted or Bruce Wayne is abducted. Um, and it it always made me angry as a kid, you know, like, why didn't he just have Alfred watch if he was if it was too hot and heavy for him? You know, like if Bruce had died as a result of this, it would have been on the boy wonder. Did that bother yes. you? Yeah, yeah. So there's always reasons to do this kind of thing, but then you also have the whole adults and the and the young young person learning and how they relate to each other. So Alfred is almost like Batman in that scene where they're trying to assess some situation and they're trying to figure out what is the right way or the correct way of doing things. So sort of like bringing up someone to be a gentleman or being someone that would be respectful and and be a good person in society. Um, so Alfred sort of took on that role. Well, we should uh, talk a little bit about that classic scene. It is the scene that, you know, when you mention, uh, well, actually, I guess there's two. Let's let's go chronologically. There are two classic scenes in this film that people immediately recall when you mention the Batman 66 feature film. So the first one is in the opening scene where Batman and Robin are in the uh, – uh, Batcopter, they're pursuing uh, the yacht that has Commodore Schmidlap in it. Um, and while they're doing this, uh, they're, well, they're trying to lower Batman down onto the yacht, which turns out to be uh, basically like a, a hologram. <laughs> it's not real. And so Batman gets sort of on the ladder, dropped into the drink. Um, and, and while he's uh, partially submerged, he ends up with a shark on his leg. Uh, do you want to talk about this scene a little bit, David? It's very odd because he's got this shark <laughs> yes. on his leg. Like it's actually attached itself to his knee parts. And this shark would be, I, I, I imagine it would be, I mean, let's set logic aside for a minute. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, this thing would be heavy. Like we're yeah. probably talking probably a couple hundred pounds or something like this. Right. He's holding onto a net. This thing has chomped into his knee, basically should have basically severed it. <laughs> and Batman there is all able to hold on to the bat ladder with one hand and use the other one to start pummeling this this shark. 
this poor shark who's just doing what it's doing to, you know, it's it's not evil or anything. It's just trying to, you know, have, have, lunch. An, have lunch. Yeah. And him punch. And then he's able to t- talk to the boy wonder and say, hey, don't we have some of that bad shark repellent? <laughs> yeah. Like, as if this is something that you just carry around or, or have when you're going to be flying in your bat copter that you have that shark repellent and then yeah and they actually have like four canisters of various repellents up there yes yeah like, and like manta ray yeah yeah kill, killer whale or something i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the, the, the whole thing like he's able to and then batman robin climbs down the rope and is able to do a trapeze and like one of the things i don't think they covered too much in this series but i think it might have been in the comic books the idea that he used to be whether he's a gymnast or was in the circus or whatever it was he's someone that could really do trapeze stuff or do whatever i th- i think that was partly robin's background was right he, he was one he was one of the flying graysons and right. and uh, you know, Bruce was there when I, one of the uh, villains ends up uh, basically killing his parents, and and that's when uh, Bruce takes takes Bert under his wing, under his bat wing. Yeah, but but that certainly was a, a nice moment there because it did for those fans see when that's happened, and he's able to pass the the bat repellent but the whole thing is he's not really dead. Like he doesn't show any injury. Like he's not walking with a limp even. Like. It's like he's <laughs> right. He's, well, of course, you know, I assume the tights had micro Kevlar stitched into the costume. That's my assumption. Well, if they're going to have business suits that are actually acid proof or whatever, right. Just at the perfect <laughs> timing, then why not have that? So yeah. the, the scene was a bit odd because that's <laughs> itself yes. was odd. Oh yeah, everything that happened, but then the shark explodes. Then you have this scene afterwards. I've got this whole thing, which is ridiculous. Like, like the whole uh, idea of Batman is just kind of ridiculous and odd because they're trying to figure out. They go back to headquarters and they're asking Commissioner Gordon. So this is just a few lines from it, and they're trying to figure out who did this. And Commissioner Gordon says it could be any one of them, but which one? Which ones? And then Batman says, pretty fishy what happened to me on that ladder. And then Gordon says, you mean where there's a fish, there could be a penguin? <laughs> and then Robin, so so that's that. Then then it gets even more ridiculous. Robin says, but wait, it happened at sea. Sea. Sea for Catwoman. <laughs> and then Batman says, yes. Yet an exploding shark was pulling my leg. And then Commissioner Gordon said, oh, the Joker. So obviously they had <laughs> planned all of this, but not for, for I guess, Batman to survive it, for them to figure this all out. And then Chief O'Hara says, I'll add up to a sinister riddle. Riddle-er. Riddler. And then Commissioner <laughs> Gordon says, oh, the thought strikes me. So dreadful. I scarcely dare give it utterance. And Batman says, the four of them, their forces combined. And Batman, Robin, of course, holy nightmare. Yeah. Now, I don't, I, I assume, again, it's all a little bit of a blur right now. I assume that's the same scene where uh, Batman asks to check for current, um, I don't know, like escaped supervillains. Yes. Uh, and so the first thing that struck me was when the panel opens up in the wall with the TV screen, which is pretty high tech for back then, um, they, uh, 
it's labeled just like just like in the Batcave. So immediately it made me think, well, okay, so Batman isn't so weird that he labels everything. It's that this is the world of of Batman sixty six. You know, like things just are labeled. It's just that's just part of of uh, the territory. But then, or the, the next- same designer, the same designer that they design helped design and do stuff in the Batcave also designed. Like he obviously is branching off, or it's, it has more than one person that he just does work for yeah and it's already been determined that again like like the first episode of the series this is not an origin story you know we're not getting batman's origins we're not getting robin's origins we're not getting the criminal's origins in fact it's it's you know hit upon that uh these are not the first encounters that they have with these criminals they've they've known them for quite a while why wouldn't why wouldn't this uh, crime fighter and the the head of the police not realize that the f- four villains that they've gone up against multiple times are again on the loose. <laughs> you know, I think therein lies the issue with the uh, correctional services in Gotham City. Yes, and and Batman never loses uh, hope with that because he always keeps thinking that someone can end up getting rehabilitated and be able to serve their time and become an upstanding citizen once they're released. And he mentions that a number of times. Now, and touching on that sort of, uh, that optimism, um, I, I have thought, you know, don't you wish you could have the eternal optimism of Batman uh, from Batman 66 in life? But, but then I realized, you know, like, why shouldn't he be optimistic? Uh, he's been, born into uh, entitlement and white privilege. Why wouldn't he be happy? And, you know, hey, Bruce, if you spread some of the wealth around and invest it into mental health programs and wealth distribution in Gotham City, maybe, maybe Gotham City wouldn't have the crime problem that it does. That's just my, my thought. Or possibly like the scene that we're going to get into next about the bomb, you know, there's always these questions, like Robin always questioned things and he at the end of the whole thing, we'll get into it in a minute, but basically he says you risk your life to save that riffraff in the bar. And Batman says they may be drinkers, Robin, <laughs> but they're also human beings and maybe salvaged. I had to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has and such a high moral sense to him, you know, definitely. And he doesn't even chastise. Like there's no lecture about gluttony as we see that shot of those two large women who are like, you know, taken out in the four in the foreground of those scenes in the pub, which just cracked me up that that's there. And it's not, it's not touched upon. Not nobody mentions it, says anything about it, but clearly in Lorenzo Semple Jr.'s mind, it was important because it, features prominently in in that scene and those scenes i guess it's also a good shot too like yeah that, it is camera angle capturing the entire room has the two women in the foreground the camera's behind the table you see the whole thing you see batman coming through the far door with the bomb and he starts telling everyone to get out everyone's going out except them right and you know what I, it just occurred to me we did not talk about this uh, in the two episodes about the series, somehow, like there's so much to talk about, we didn't get to this. But when you just mentioned angle, it made me think of the infamous, or not infamous, the famous Dutch angles that are uh, featured on the show every time that we are in the lair of one of the criminals. And I mean, I don't know that we need to spell this out to people who aren't familiar with the show, 
But the reason a Dutch angle is a is a film term for when the uh, camera is not level, and and it's intentional. And the reason mm. it is, you know, set on, on an off kilter is it's a crooked shot because these are crooks. They are criminals. They are crooked. So that's the visual gag just for folks who don't know. Well, it's also a way of setting it apart from other scenes. So you know that you're in an odd place. Plus it also puts you off a bit. Like it's just not normal. So it already puts you a bit on edge and adds a bit more tension, I think. But I know we have to get back to the bomb scene. And by the way, What's amazing is that this, I just quickly went to YouTube and they've got the actual bomb. You can just find it there. But what's amazing is that that whole scene, it looks like it's about three minutes long, which is actually when you talk about movies and how much time that is as a sequence, other than things like the, this, the car chase and bullet and um, living and dying in LA or whatever the one that had uh, Peterson and that had another great car chase and so on. When you actually have one, coherent scene it's almost like one camera following him three minutes is a long time for a film it is it is and the thing is it it sort of gets funnier the longer it goes you know um and and it probably is the single most iconic image of the batman 66 era it's also smart, like, like to actually do the thing, like almost storyboarding, like what they, what Spielberg did with Indiana Jones and other movies where you actually have story, you actually have scenes of how the camera would capture certain things. Because how smart that is, because people are walking, people are doing things and whatever. So you see the nuns early on and then he goes off somewhere. But when he comes back and retraces his spot to try to find another place to drop the bomb, got, Guess what? The same nuns who were there earlier have continued to walk, and he had run into them again and run into the band. I mean, the way it does it so brilliantly, so smart. Yeah, and then there's that really funny moment where I guess you're behind Batman's back, and uh, it's almost like it, it feels like he's playing basketball where uh, he turns, and there's like, I think, the woman with the baby carriage. And then he pivots, and, he, and the camera pivots too. And then there's the nuns. And then he pivots again to his left, and it's like the lovers or whoever, the Salvation Army. Um, so it's just a hilarious shot because it's like, okay, we've seen these people before, but now we're seeing like they're all together. I can't throw it here. I can't throw it here. I can't throw it there. And then of course the like, which is just like the ultimate in the in the gag is okay. So we see Batman, you know, cherishes cherishes human life. But then he's about to throw it and he sees ducks. Mm. <laughs> it's like, no, not the ducks either. You know? <laughs> so that, that is just hilarious. And then and the, the iconic line, of course. The line. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Which and is great because we're feeling his frustration. Like we're there with him. First, we're, we understand it's a movie. We understand that, that it's played for laughs and it's just a very odd film. But we are actually feeling that we're with him trying to get rid of the bomb with him. So we're actually with um, Batman when he's trying to do this. We're feeling all of this tension too. And that line was just the perfect line to encapsulate that moment. Right. And so not only is for, for people who have never seen the film – 
not only is the bomb a giant uh, round cherry bomb, like bigger, like about a basketball size, I would say. Um, not only is it like clearly a bomb, it's also labeled a bomb <laughs> on it. Yeah, and if you look at it, it's even larger than a than a basketball. And if you actually think, if that was actual metal, like if this was an actual bomb, you would not be able to carry it like that because the thing would be 70 or 80 pounds. Like it wouldn't be something that you could even physically handle. So clearly this thing's made out of styrofoam or made out of whatever thing is painted to look like it's an actual bomb. And that's a longest feat. Like if you imagine if you're going to have a bomb <laughs> blow up and you've got this three minute and it's not even a fuse like something that's getting shorter and shorter. It's just the sparks coming out of the end of it. You have no idea how long, when it's going to go off. Yeah. And, uh, I just want to say, as I, I mentioned the other day that, um, in our previous episode, one of the two episodes that, um, I had, uh, uh, in high school done a, a film version of Batman with, uh, my friend Ted Healy. It was his project. Um, so he had us reenact that scene in the film. Um, and, uh, so the fellow that played Robin to my Batman, uh, is, uh, is a visual artist named uh, Mike DiMuccio. And right in front of me in my office is a painting that he has done. It's like a series of them. They're sort of like Warholian um, screen prints and silk screen prints, but it's of Batman holding the cherry bomb over his head. And I'll, I'll probably take a shot of that to share with people on our Facebook page. All righty. Should we move on to the all important dream casting and Schrodinger's cast? Let's do it. All right. Off to the Dreamcast, Batman. Dreamcasting. Yeah. Dreamcasting, baby. Okay, just to re-familiarize yourself, or for those who have never heard it, I suppose, what is Dreamcasting? Well, Dreamcasting is where we take the best actors, living or dead, uh, for the roles that we're looking at. And then after we do that, we're going to move on to our Schrodinger's cast, which is our outside the box casting or what we used to call the scream casting, where we put unlikely people into the roles. And sometimes there is something that connects the people's, the people's, <laughs> the people's. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get your people's and you put them in your films. Anyway, um, people, something that connects the people in the Schrodinger's cast, like, uh, you know, say the cast of uh, Brady Bunch or uh, maybe Love Boat or something like that. Um, today we are taking six of the roles from the 1966 Batman film. And these, are, of course, will be Batman, Robin and the four villains. Um, so originally, as I think you know, but let's, Let's go over this. Batman was played by Adam West, Robin West, Robin West. Good God. It's almost like we've done three of these and I'm losing my mind. Uh, <laughs> Robin Ward. I can't say it. No, Robin. No. Oh my God. That <laughs> it, it does not compute. Does not compute. Robin was played by Burt Ward, the Riddler by Frank Gorshin. The Joker in the film was played by, well, in, in, in every version of Batman 66 was played by Cesar Romero. Uh, the Penguin was the inimitable Burgess Meredith and Catwoman, Lee Merriweather, her one and only stint as Catwoman. So, you know, Troy, I think yes. we missed an opportunity to recast this as a Schrodinger's cast of the cast from 
the uh, series that had, I think Robin Ward was in it, the star lost, <laughs> but maybe some other time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're doing Robin these two Ward. at a time. We're doing them two at a time. So what we're going to do is for Batman and Robin, uh, Troy, you'll give me your dream cast for both. And then I will do my dream cast for both. And then we will do the dream cast for Riddler and Joker and then pair up Penguin and Catwoman. So who are your Batman and Robin? Well, I've got to say, for some reason, this was easier than I thought it would be. I don't don't know why, but um, so here's my dynamic duo from um, Bridesmaids and from Mad Men. I have John Hamm, uh, and I thought he would be perfect because he does uh, mm. both drama and comedy very well, and mm. he has that look. I mean, here's a guy who, to me, always looked like Batman or Bruce Wayne. Um, and his serious face is a great serious face. So that's, that's me, John Hamm as Batman. And I hope to see that at some point in my life, although he's probably now too old. I think he would be perfect. Um, he certainly gives good Batman face. So that would be, he does, he does. And as the thing about this too, just to remind the listeners, I feel like I have may have said viewers early, but earlier, but listeners, um, is that this can be at any point, like we, we can pick specifically a point in their lives. It's not necessarily the actors now. So this could have been John Hamm at the beginning of, uh, Mad Men, which is probably getting close to 20 years ago now, maybe 15. Anyway, Robin or, the or Jack Nicholson from Five Easy Pieces. You can pick a specific era for the actor or actress for sure. Right, right. So, uh, for the boy wonder, and and this I really wish I could have seen. Um, Will Wheaton uh, at, at his Geordie age, you know, a little little older than his Stand by Me age, but God, I think he would have made a great Robin. And like even his physique and his look and his earnestness, um, I think John Hamm and Will Wheaton as the dynamic duo would have been gold. I mean, I don't think it works in terms of years and whatnot, but um, that's my. Uh, my dream casting for the dynamic duo. What do you have, Dave? Okay, so what I picked was for Batman, I picked Henry Cavill, who's more known ah. as playing Superman. But I think he's got that kind of physique and that kind of look and that, that face that would be perfect for Batman. Now, I picked Sean Patrick Flannery, who I think was in the young Indiana Jones as my Robin, because I think he was young enough, but it was also sort of felt Robin-ish a bit. Uh, to me, because he could actually, you know, one of the things with Robin is that he can get out of jams and think quick on his feet and really help you out, which is what you want in someone that works with you fighting crime. So I think Sean Patrick Flannery from that series, uh, the young Indiana Jones is, is what I had. Wow. That is one of the most Irish names I have ever heard. Okay. Let's move on to, uh, the Joker and the Riddler. So as the Riddler, I had, Taika Waititi. Um, and I hope to see that at some point because uh, I love him in everything he does, whether it's the films that he makes, whether it's uh, what we do in the shadows or his actual on-screen presence. Uh, and Joker. Now, David, back in around 1983 or four, um, 
I saw a film that became one of my favorites and it's sort of a, a culty, like not everybody knows of it, but you might because you're the same age as I am or roughly. That film was Streets of Fire. Mm. It had Diane Lane in it. It had uh, uh, Rick Moranis. Um, and it had Willem Dafoe as the, right. as the villain. Mm. That's the first time I ever saw Willem Dafoe. And when I saw his face, when he did this smile, I went, holy crap, that's the Joker. Yes. He, has, he has the perfect Joker face. Supposedly, Willem Dafoe was approached in 1989 to play Batman. But I think they 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 missed the boat. Uh, I don't know if, if uh, Nicholson had already been named uh, as the Joker or assigned to do it. But I, Willem Dafoe is the guy I've always wanted to see as the Joker. Yeah, these are iconic and great roles. Can you just imagine being an actor and offered to do like certainly the Joker has won so many awards in the various film incarnations because you can just go wild and just do all sorts of Cesar Romero from what I had read loved being the Joker in the series because he could just do wild and just do something outside of what he would ever do in a movie yeah and and I don't think we actually touched on the fact that Cesar Romero refused to shave his mustache for the role so it's just hilarious that he has like white uh grease paint over his mustache um like that made it even funnier um, it did and in fact the the funko figure that i held up earlier they you can't probably tell on the camera that i'm showing you but they've included his mustache underneath the, the grease paint so that was a, a nice little touch that they added that to the figure yeah, and that does sound perfectly Jokerish because the Joker in the various incarnations ha- is not all there mentally. Like he's just no. partly a whack job or partly just has mental issues. Um, the film, um, who was it? Was it Joaquin he, Phoenix or who, who was the Joker that won the, the Oscar? Well, there's the two of them. There's the Heath Ledger for yeah. Bat. Um, Dark Knight Rise. Oh, good God. Not Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Returns. And, um, and that was, uh. And it was Joaquin Phoenix, right? Yes. Or, in, or, in, or, in, in, right. No, that's right. In the stand, in the standalone, uh, the Joker, Joker yeah. film. Yeah. yeah. Which is such a great, like that is he, his performance and the writing and just how that film worked was just brilliant. Um, no, I wanted I to mention. See, I can see Romero. Like, there's no issue with him painting over that mustache because that even makes him, yeah, a bit more odd. That's what I thought too. Uh, I just yeah. wanted to mention that uh, Frank Gorshin was actually nominated for an Emmy for his portrayal of the Riddler. Mm. Well, that laugh and what he brought to the role is just incredible. That intensity um, it, it frightened me as a child. Hmm. Mm. Like I thought this someday this guy is going to kill either Batman or Robin or both of them. Like he's actually yeah, going to yeah, do no. it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um so for me, uh the Riddler, I had Christoph Waltz. And the Joker, this is going outside the box a lot for even though you would think that oh. this is on my Schrodinger's cast, but I'm this is on the serious dream cast. Yes. I've got sort of a young Marlon Brando. Oh, that's brilliant. Um now, I'm not familiar with Christoph Waltz. Uh, where would I know him from, David? Uh, he's had a few uh, films. I think a number of them are um, from the, the the director for Kill Bill. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Tarantino. 
um, had a oh, number okay. of, uh, Christoph Waltz won Oscars, like two straight films for like, he played a Nazi in one of them. There's that. Opening oh, scene. yes. Yes. Okay. Now I know who you mean. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 He, oh yeah. He'd be a very frightening Riddler. Yeah. And he was also, um, a, a character in Django Unchained. Um, got it. So yeah, he's one of the, considered one of the best. And he was also in one of the Bond films. He played a Bond villain in the recent, you know, Daniel Craig set of movies. That's right. Um, so he's been, I think he's probably in the top 10 or 20 actors out there. Yeah. Now Brando, um, that's, that's just a great call. Yeah. Cause he could bring that manic kind of like, like, you know, you get that Marlon Brando from the film where he's Kurtz. Oh my God, David! It just hit me. You know who else would be good for either the Riddler or the Joker? Yeah, um, Anthony Perkins. Oh yes, you know, and he's got that. Um, if you want to go with the sort of comic version of the Riddler, who's always tall, more like he's tall and gaunt, uh, Perkins would have that build. But you can anyway. also have Anthony Hopkins too. So we, what we need is a bunch of Anthony. We can have a whole cast of Anthony actors. Yes. I've gone too far. Yeah. No, I like <laughs> that one. And you got Penguin and Catwoman as your dream cast. Okay. Now, James Cagney actually had a window scene in the Batman series. Um, but I would love to recast him as, as the Penguin if something, you know, if Burgess Meredith was not available. I think James Cagney would have been great because he's also got the short stature. He's got the odd voice that he wouldn't have to tweak too much for the penguin. Um, so I'm going with James Cagney. Yeah. See, see, I'm going Cagney. You hurt my brother yeah. or whatever it was. You killed you, my brother. You dirty rat. You dirty yeah. rat. Yeah. Um, and Catwoman. Um, this one seemed. I don't know. Maybe I'm just going through my own uh, fantasy list here, but Olivia Munn, I thought would mm. be a perfect Catwoman. Not only could she wear the suit well, uh, she has a great look. She almost has that that mix that um, Julie Newmar had of this sort of natural beauty, but these really stunning eyes. Um, so yeah, Olivia Munn is my Catwoman. Also, she has her nerd credentials because she was one of the co-hosts of Attack of the Show um, back in the day, doing all things uh, sort of genre and game and whatnot. So she's got a great sense of humor too. So I think that her playfulness would work out. But she's also in a standalone, a special episode that they did on yes. The Walking Dead with Terry Crews. So it's Terry Crews and Olivia Munn. Yes, it's the first episode of Tales of the Walking Dead. I, th- no. I love your choice of Olivia Munn as Catwoman. Now, for me, I have a Steve Buscemi as the Penguin. The Penguin. Interesting. Yes, because I think he has got that kind of penguinish kind of appearance. Oh, and- yeah. And if you think of like of like Boardwalk Empire, like along those lines, I can see that. Yeah, and also even Con Air, um, and also it can sit on a bomb well. Like think, I think one of those um, uh, movies with the asteroid hitting the Earth. Uh, um, uh, he was one of the um, drillers 
um, that's on the asteroid. So Steve Buscemi can certainly do that. And for Catwoman, I picked Leslie Caron as a Catwoman. Excellent. Because um, I think that she would be able to do all of the kind of gymnastic or the kind of things that Catwoman would be able to do. Yes. Um, now, I'm just throwing my two cents worth in here. It's, it's, I know this sounds like uh, I'm being a brown nose and I'm throwing in like extra work that I didn't need to do. But um, and because they're not in the film and we're dealing with the film, really. Uh, Alison Brie as Batgirl. I thought, oh, my God. Yes, Alison Brie is Batgirl. Please make that film. Although, again, this would have been better like during season one of Community as opposed to now. But still, uh, let me just say one more time, Alison Brie. As back, yeah, I would go with that. Yeah. Um, and I also, um, uh, there was something I was watching Alfred in one of the fight scenes where he fights the penguin. And there was something about him that reminded me of Jeff Goldblum right now. Like at this, mm. like at this point in time, mm. like an, an older Jeff Goldblum. He has that build. He has the same build Alfred has basically. And, uh, I can imagine him playing that for jokes. Anyway, sorry, that well, was we just giant. we just need an Alfred episode at some point because the number yeah. of actors that have played uh, from the '66 series onward, like you even had, I think Michael Caine at one point, um, yeah. and um, Jeremy Irons. I, I love think. Jeremy Irons as Batman. As sorry, as yes. Alfred. And you know, I'll take this uh, moment to uh, you know we call uh, uh, one of our frequent listeners Pat. We call him our listener. Um, he loves the show. Uh, is it called Pennyworth or is it called Alfred? It's called Pennyworth, I believe. Mm, anyway, yeah, yeah. he he loves that series, and unfortunately, it has been canceled. But if there's two full seasons of Pennyworth out there, the tales of Alfred as a younger, more violent man. Very good. So, Schrodinger's cast. Yeah, this is this is our weirdness uh, moment. Um, uh, and am I up first, Dave? Yep. Okay, so as you know, I use the random name generator 9000 to call my Schrodinger's cast, at least for the past handful of episodes. Um, and so I threw it into the computer, and for Batman, I had Ed Tall Jones from the 1977 Dallas Cowboys. And again, I guess he would have the look of sort of like Alfred, but 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 way more buff. No, he'd just be massive, I guess, in the bat suit. Yeah, which would scare criminals, I would think. Yeah, as well as Aunt Harriet. <laughs> I like that choice, and and in some cases, there have over the years been a number of athletes that have done their thing on whether it's TV or movies and in some cases have done very well for themselves. Yeah. And how about Robin? Who is your Schrodinger's cast for Robin? I love this one. I, I like what the random name generator 9000 spat out. As Robin, I had Joey Ramone. I think he'd be great with the hair too. Like just keep the hair <laughs> as is. <laughs> and then he I just realized Joey Ramone is like freaking tall too. He's like six foot six. <laughs> so, so they would be hilarious. And two tall Jones and this massive like punk with long hair. Okay. Wow. That's me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Without the random generator, you may never have picked those names for, um, Oh, I would not. Yeah. Yep. Now I went all, um, 
um, Harry Potter on this. So I picked uh, actors who played roles in Harry Potter being these six roles. So I started off with Batman. I picked Jason Isaacs, who played Lucius Malfoy <laughs> in the Potter films, because I think he has the stature and has that look and has that stage presence. Um, he was also in um, Star Trek Discovery. Um, so I picked Jason Isaacs. Nice. And for Robin, I picked the the, the uh, actor that actually played uh, Lucius Malfoy's son, Draco Malfoy. I picked Tom Felton. So you actually got the two transplanted from Harry Potter, father, son. Now, I know it's obviously with Batman and Robin's not father, son, but it had that dynamic to it, even though he's yes. the ward. But in this case, Tom Felton would be Robin. Excellent. Would he keep the would he would would he keep the light hair from Malfoy? I, 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 it would be interesting to see him in dark in in you know brown or, or darker hair. It would be kind of interesting, but he could keep that. I think it would be a different look, wouldn't it? It would. Okay, we're moving on to uh, Joker and the Riddler, I believe. Yep. Alrighty. So, as the Joker, and again, thank you. Random name generator 9000. It's the Joker. I was supplied with the name Raquel Welch. I was going to mention something earlier because I think with one of the characters, I was thinking Raquel Welch would be neat, but you actually picked it. So that would be very interesting. Yeah. And I mean, just imagine, say, um, in, in episode one of the series, Jill St. John's dresses up as Robin and, and looks quite fine. And I assume it would be something similar with Raquel Welch. Um, now, would this be Raquel Welch from um, the Three Musketeers film or earlier from the uh, the one where they travel inside the body? Or uh, I'm thinking like late 60s, early 70s, like Magic Christian, which I guess Magic Christian is two years after the, uh, what was that, Fantastic Voyage where they go in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fantastic Voyage. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that era. And the roller derby one that she was in. Sure. Uh, and then what do you have for the Riddler? Uh, the Riddler. I can't wait like, for like this. this, <laughs> this I think this works really well, or, or maybe not. But uh, again, this was there was no thought put into it. This is random. Phyllis Diller. Dude, that's so oh, random. No. Yeah. And I want to remind people. So the way the random name generator works is... Yeah, it's random, but I came up with a list of about 500 names. And these names uh, consisted of people from the era that we try to cover on the show. So so these are people from the 60s and 70s, predominantly maybe early 80s. Um, and that's why these people were uh, considered and put up as candidates. But then then it's drawn quite randomly. So uh, Phyllis Diller is the Riddler, and I think it would be pretty hilarious. Yeah, I always like Phyllis Diller. Um, and, yeah, I think she could do anything, to be honest. Um, yeah. She was, I was very much a fan of Phyllis Diller back in the late 60s, early 70s, for sure. All right. We move on. Now, what do you have? Oh, what do you have, Dave? Uh, for Riddler, I had Alan Rickman who plays Severus Snape. Oh. Now we've had Alan Rickman before for various casting because we're, we are such fans of him in anything that he does. But I think he could be, whether it was Riddler or Joker, I think Alan Rickman can basically do anything. And for the Joker, I, I agree. Gary Oldman 
who uh, played uh, Sirius Black in the uh, Harry Potter film. So Gary Oldman, who is, I like him in basically everything he does. Yeah, we should uh, at some point compile a spreadsheet of everybody that we've nominated and and check out like who has the most nominations because Gary Oldman is probably up there for both of us and Rickman is probably as well. Yeah, and we've we've certainly had uh, Tom Hanks in there a number of times. Yeah, um, and I mean that's this time. I think especially with uh, Rickman and Oldman, it really speaks to their versatility as actors. You know, and they, mm. they they can do comedy as well as they can do drama, and they do both of those very well. Yeah, uh, I think right. we should have Sir Alec Guinness somewhere in there, but that's all right. We do. Uh, what do you got for it? Because I guess the last two we've got are Penguin and Catwoman. Okay, so my Penguin. Um, I don't know how well this would work, but Dirk Benedict from uh, Battlestar Galactica and the A-Team. Um, it's, it's odd, but that's sort of the territory of Schrodinger's cast. Um, Dirk Benedict as the Penguin, is that's what I came up with. And would you, Yeah. Would you like Catwoman? Yes, I would like Catwoman. Oh, I'm sorry. Now, your choice, I mean. Now, this has never happened before, David. And Uh-oh. I did, and I made sure not, I didn't tamper with it. Well, why would I? The random name generator 9000 in the role of Catwoman supplied for me Eartha Kit. Isn't that weird? That is incredible. Yeah. I mean, we recently talked about our top 10, uh, or something like that our top favorite uh, cat women. And personally, Eartha Kit was nowhere near the top for me. So this is not something like I chose. This was supplied by the random name generator 9,000. So there you go. That's, that's my uh, Schrodinger's cast for Batman, the feature yes, film. It's kind of fits perfectly. Um, but just imagine the penguin, Dirk Benedict and Eartha Kit complaining about each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because uh, I had this, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because certainly one of them, the submarine. There's certainly some uh, feistiness between them because uh, they don't. Exactly, oh, that would be great. But, but of course, she doesn't like water. Of course. Now, for me, the last two I have Burgess again, a Penguin and Catwoman. I've got Matthew Lewis. Now he was an actor that played Neville Longbottom, who carries on through almost all of the films. Um, and has an important role, of course, in the very final one. But, um, so I picked Matthew Lewis, um, who was Neville Longbottom as Penguin. And for Catwoman, I picked, uh, one of my faves is, um, uh, Clements Poisey, who played Fleur Delacour. Um, and that was the, the, um, Goblet of Fire. That's why they have all these this competition, the Tri Wizards competition between the three houses, and she's one of the uh, people from one of the other houses. And as a backup, I like Natalia Tena, who played Nymphadora Tonks um, as uh, Catwoman. But I sort of went with Clemens Poisey. Perfect. So I think that's our uh, that's our Batman 1966 Part Three. Uh, looking at the Batman movie, any final uh, comments before we wrap it up? Pretty much. I just want to say, David, it's been a lot of fun doing these three episodes. You know that, as you say at the beginning of every episode, sort of our mission statement is that we want to look back fondly with affection 
to the shows and the films and books of genre that we love. And for me, this is definitely one of the ultimates. Um, you know, I love Batman in all its forms, but this was the thing that, that kicked it off and has been a constant through my life. So really glad that we did this one and glad to do it with you, Dave. It's always, always fun when we get together to do these shows. Well, as Robin said, holy jumble, where's the hope of the world now? Well, maybe if we just keep doing this podcast, maybe we will bring um, hope to the world. There we so go. I'm not sure what we're doing. There we go. One listener. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, listener, and anybody else who uh, maybe uh, checked it out thinking it was something else. Uh, glad you were out there. And um, thanks, Troy. It was a real pleasiosaur to uh, do this with you. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, listeners, please remember to catch us on your favorite podcast provider, whatever that may be. Uh, we will suggest Spotify if you don't have one. Um, but, um, check out our website, two numeric two of.ca, uh, Facebook, two old farts talk sci-fi. Uh, we'll be posting a lot of things actually for these episodes, little supplemental materials on our uh, Facebook page. So please check those out and, and let us know what you think. Uh, tell a friend, like, and subscribe. Do all of those wonderful things. I am David Clink. And I'm Troy Harkin. See you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi. Same bat time. Same bat channel. <laughs>